Over the last 10 days, we have been watching the unimaginable. Protesters invading the halls of the U.S. Capitol. Legislators rushed off to, to safety uh, from those bent on destruction and, and chaos. For some assembled that day, they, they were just a gathering of the concerned, but for the opportunistic, those that were bent on violence, it was a time for mayhem and destruction. Chaos set on fire. Hatred unleashed. And fueled by those who were wanting outcomes different than, than what they liked and different what they, than what they thought should be. And distrust the fuel and conspiracy, the, the rallying cry. And, and underneath all that, just, just angry justification. Why the assembled should act as they did. Their whys justifying the behavior. And while those looking on, regardless of political affiliations, they looked on knowing that nothing justified the violence in the events witnessed. Nothing made sense of that. Nothing justified the hatred and divide that brought the nation to this point, to the brink of significant damage. And in the aftermath of times like these, when emotions subside, we can sit back and usually unpack some of the whys that drive people to do the things they do. The whys where people reach out and react out from the wrongs that were done them or the, or the things that were denied them. A cruelty endured or a dream that was denied. And, and if, if those aren't the determinants, often there are other, other whys that determine our actions. Uh, acting because we need to be important or, or we want to be happy. The drive to be successful, the investment in being rich, the pursuit for things better. All things motivating the, the why that we do. And you know the thing about whys is, is often we don't stop long enough to, to actually ask the whys that why we behave, that shape us, that drive us. And the word that we're going to be looking at this morning as we walk through the pages of Mark is, is going to be the question of why that, that Jesus will ask of those that we, we earlier read about. The ones that were driven by, by power and the need to be important. The need that have the wise that they didn't want to answer to anybody. And if we don't look at the wise in our own life that drive our behaviors, then, then we're going to come up into significantly problematic places. Places that we don't look long and hard enough to understand why we act as we do and why we pursue the things we do. And if we don't have a good reason for that, we're going to come up short when our kids look at us and they're not satisfied with the whys that they, they see. When they see the disconnect between, between the things that we say and the things that we live, when they see a round of golf that's more important than a faith that is passionately pursued, when, 
when we looked to put things together and, and the results just showed empty, that like, what are we pursuing and, and why are we going after it? And as we journey through the book of Mark, it's impossible not to see that, that Jesus is constantly asking the question, why? He, he doesn't always use the word, but the intent behind what he asks is, is always put before us. Jesus calling us to assess who we are and, and what we do. Putting those questions under the glare of the spotlight of, of God. In another scene this morning that we read earlier, we are brought into a church, if you like, into the synagogue, but into a church like we assemble in to see some people who thought themselves safe from ever being asked why to justify how they acted as they did. And yet, Jesus wanting them to understand that if you don't get your whys right, then your answers will, will always be wrong. And the, the whys Jesus wants to point out to them is determined by how you answer your who. And the problem for the Pharisees is they had no use for the who that stood before them. Their minds were already made up. Their beliefs were already predetermined. Their who had already been answered. And Jesus wasn't any answer that they wanted to hear and wanted to see. And with that, they dismissed Jesus. And in that, they missed God. See, for them, knowing God was all about familiarity. What should be seen, what should be done, what should be said, what the church should look like, what, how we should gather. The songs that should be sung, the prayers that should be prayed, the words that should be show, spoken, the things that were familiar, the, the things that were predictable of what the synagogue, what the church should look like. And yet, this morning that we're looking at, they actually distance themselves from the why altogether, from the familiar altogether. What they failed to understand is that uh, they didn't want to look at the why. They just wanted to get rid of someone that was questioning their whys. And so they set up the unpredictable, <laughs> very different from how they viewed life, so that they could judge and finally shut the door on this one who stood before them. You see, the Pharisees actually orchestrated their world by the familiar. And it's, it's not all that surprising because the familiar helps us navigate life. It's, it's the place that we run into. One writer observes, observed this, that brain and body are programmed to run for home, to run where safety can be restored and stress hormones can come to rest, the place of the familiar. And when times are difficult, home is where we want to run into. It's the familiar where we run into for comfort. And for a time, that's good. Because when life is uncertain, we want the things that are familiar that we can hold on to. But being committed to the familiar and committed to the comfort is, is dangerous. Because for a time, while that's needed, 
life committed to comfort is dangerous. My bed is comfortable. My bed is familiar. My, my summer sandals are comfortable. But life is more than sleep and sunshine. And if I dress for summer, when winter storms come, then I'm, I'm in for a time of, of great difficulty and great un- discomfort. Because while comfort and familiarity may keep us safe, they ultimately leave us very vulnerable. Because comfort is the enemy of growth. And yet, we are called to be a people that as we endure life, that we will encounter risk. And so we need the strength and the growth to be able to confront that risk and, and navigate life through that risk. But the Pharisees, they navigated life through familiarity and comfort. And, and for them, the way that was de- uh, delivered was by control. Control was what the Pharisees ran into. That was the home that they were comfortable with. It was the why they lived for. It was the familiarity that protected what they knew and what they wanted. And in that control, they would impose that upon others. And in verse 4, Jesus challenges their need of the familiar and the control. He, he challenges them to take a close look on the things in which their lives were built, the why that gave them the definition. And he put before them an understanding that the, the choice is actually a choice of life and death. This isn't a choice of preference. It's a choice of understanding what you truly live for. And he asked them a question to to pry them out of their world of of the predictable. He asked them to to really examine who they live for and why they live for. And unable to do that, they became deaf to the things that Jesus asked of them and they became blind to the things that he said. Because they they believed that God could only be known by strictly followed laws. And and Jesus came to upset that. He didn't come in with the comfortable. In fact, he did the radically unfamiliar, unfamiliar to them that fit no paradigm that they could understand. He came to the ones that they would never go near. He came and said to them, I'm the one that makes the lame walk and the blind see I'm the, I'm the one that finds the lost. <laughs> and the Pharisees, they had no room for that. It was outside anything that they understood as familiar because their word, world was hermetically sealed. And besides, the Pharisees were none of that. They didn't see themselves in any way in those forms. They weren't blind, they weren't lame, they weren't deformed, they weren't lost. And yet, as Jesus wanted them to see, he wanted to see that you were all of that. You were all of those things. You were blind to mercy. You were lame in the understanding of who God is. You were deformed in your heart, and you are lost in your sin and your self-righteous pride, just as you and I were, and just as 
many of us still are. And Jesus wants to pry them away from all of that. And he speaks to them and they ask the question that we're told in Mark 3 and 4. They saw this as conf confrontation time. And so they ask the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? <laughs> Jesus knew where they were going. Uh, we don't pick it up in Mark, but we do pick it up in Matthew. And, and Jesus, not answering directly their question, he, he asked them this. He said, well, let me ask. If, if, if one of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, <laughs> will, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? <laughs> How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, <laughs> therefore understand, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus answering something bigger than what they had asked. Wanting them to consider a deeper why than how they lived and what they did. He wanted to see in, in what is your heart invested? What is it in which you cast your value? And he gives them a picture that emotionally they can't escape. He gives them the picture of an animal rescue. And the action given saying, look, surely you would respond to this, the sheep. If not by compassion, at least by pocketbook. Uh, I mean, come on, where's your value you place? Which begs the question of us. Where do we place our value? What, what is the, the why that determines our life? That if Jesus were to come into the unfamiliar of our, in ways that are unfamiliar, upsetting things in which our lives are invested. To come into the things that we hold to that give us definition. If he comes into the, the predetermined way that we, we think that we're to gather to meet God, in the way that we think we're to do life, if he comes in and upsets all that, challenging us to look as, what is the why that we live for? What is that? In, in what places are your investment? Because if you don't answer that question, you and I have the potential to, to miss God in a very similar way to the way the Pharisees missed him. Missing him in the way that he truly is and in the way he truly wants to be in our lives. Not in some caricature that we, we have put together about knowing Jesus, but in a real personal interactive way of knowing him. Verse 5 tells us that seeing the hardness of their heart and that this man that they would put on the spotlight was going to be used as an exhibit, Jesus was angry. Jesus' anger over the religious replacing the real, the business of religion, the practice of religion, the familiarity of religion, replacing the center of the one we are called to worship, God himself, Jesus, his son. And reacting to this, Jesus turns from the Pharisees who were boxed into how they understood God to be. And he turns to the one that they would have considered unworthy. 
And he says, stretch out your hand. Don't miss the enormity of what Jesus was asking this man to do. He would have spent his life hiding his hand. He would have spent his life covering all the things that, the thing that marked him as different, the thing that excluded, the thing that disqualified. So Jesus' ask of this man was no small ask. And against that was the backdrop of the Pharisees who believed that they had nothing to cover. He, he, this man had covered over so no one would see. And the Pharisees, they have, we, we have nothing at all to cover. They, were, they believed themselves hidden in their world of secrets and clothed in their religiosity and their, their self-righteousness, clothed in their pride and their sin. <laughs> and yet, Jesus, looking at them and realizing you were so uncovered, you are so naked, and you are deformed in your guilt. You're exposed in your hearts. And the contrast is with this man who is broken, standing center stage. And the truth is, this man didn't know what Jesus was going to do. He, he didn't know whether he was going to bring him here and he was going to be yet one more time of being exhibited as a, another place to revisit the pain and the place he didn't fit. Just, just a, a, an exhibit to be put on show. Because you can be guaranteed he had lived a lifetime of that. And if Jesus didn't intend that, then the probability of disappointment would have been high. I mean, what, what was Jesus set out to do? After all, deformity had been his life. He had never known anything different than that. And yes, Jesus healed, but, but uh, this was a deformed hand. It wasn't a bone to be set in place. Who had an answer for a deformity that was what his since birth. And yet here he was, called out to stand in front of a group that wanted to condemn. And I don't think it but a second or two before that he knew that he was standing in the presence of love. He was standing in the presence of one who knew his pain. He was standing in the presence of one who drew close. Standing in the presence. And standing in the presence of this, he stretched out a hand to see it make new. And the why of his life was completely changed because of the one, the who, before whom he stood. I don't know that he would have fully understand that. In fact, I'm sure he didn't. But there was something in Jesus coming close to him and for him truly seeing this Jesus who called him to stretch out his hand that changed the why of his life. And well, we don't usually think of it this way. All of us at one time or another have been brought to the same place where we've been invited to come face to face with Jesus, where he invites us, are we going to hide? Are we going to cover? Or are we going to conceal? 
where he says to us, stretch out your hand. And in that place, he brings us face to face with him. Because the truth of it is, is in so many ways, we are all shriveled. And for some, that, that's on obvious display. It's lives that are out of whack. It's the relationships that aren't working. It's the addictions and failures that are too obvious for anyone to miss. And there's the, those that have been hurt, and the, the lines of hurt are all over them. And yes, there are those that have done the hurt. Shriveled up lives, twisted lives, deformed lives. And make, make no mistake, it, whether we pull the robes over our deformities or not so people don't see, see them, we know they're there. Ours don't have to be as visible as those. We know that we cover over our places of doubt and fear or the anger that destroys or the discouragement that cripples. The loneliness even amongst others that, that confines and the secure, insecurity that hides. And always just, just trying to ho- hide over and cover over the, the things that life isn't working. And God putting before us the choice. You hide or were you in cover? And the Pharisees, they, they chose to hide. Because the last thing they wanted to do was to reveal their need and their failures and their sin. They covered over just like the many. Where Jesus warns that ultimately, we're told, will lead to the, the path of destruction. And in contrast, again, the one. The one who responded to the call, stretch out a hand, and he did, he was set free. Free in a way that he never could have imagined possible. I don't know. I, I can't even begin to imagine his joy. I can't imagine the celebration that he would have. That in, in a moment, he was made completely new. A life of hiding was now completely gone. Life opened as never before. All because he saw the one that others choose, chose to miss. miss. You know, sometimes we can have an understanding of Jesus and we, we actually can be followers of Jesus. We can know him. But we really don't understand him is that he is, he is one that actually intimately wants to come close to us. That, that he is the one that walks beside. He's the one that laughs. He's, he's the one that goes into the places you can't imagine him going into. That, that comes into and understands the very depths of who we are. That we don't have to dress up to present ourselves to him. That... that He comes to us as we are. And that's the story of the gospel. The the story of the gospel that brings us new life. That we don't have to clean up for him. We just have to confess before him. But what we need to discover as Christians and and rediscover is that Jesus didn't just bring us into life, into, into new life. He brings us into a place that he continually wants to transform our lives. Making us new no matter how lost we've been, no matter the things we've been into, no matter all the things that we say are the shriveled places of our lives. You know, and I think about this man. I guarantee that this man's hand 
wasn't one that needed to go to the gym or the physiotherapist to get strong. I guarantee that in a second, as soon as God said the word, or Jesus said the word, stretch forth your hand and it was made new, it was immediately taught. It was immediately strong. It was immediately capable in his arms, capable of doing whatever needed to be done. And the picture of all this is this. Again, the reminder that Jesus comes in to heal shriveled up lives. He's still doing the process. That when Jesus redeems, he does more than just rescue. He transforms. The living God who comes into the places that you are facing right now, in the places that you have written off as impossible, in the places where the enemy seems to have won, I can't say how that transformation will come. I can't say that that marriage will be made right, whether that illness will finally be overcome or or whether that cloud will soon lift. But in all those places, God drawing close to transform and make us new. Because Christ's victory has always promised that. So, is that saying, like Martha, that that time will ultimately come, that there'll be, there'll be a, a time that Martha said in John 11, well, I know, I know that you're going to do this, that you'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Uh, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I know that's going to happen sometime, someplace. In other words, Martha's comment on that is, yeah, I, I know eventually all of this will be made right. But Jesus is saying, no, no, not I will be, but I am. Oh, there's a time that, yes, that we'll know that being made new in a way that we can't yet imagine. But, but the, words, the words of 2 Corinthians, where we're told in 5.17, we know them well, is if anyone is Christ, he is a new, what? Creation. He is new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That he has done it in our standing with God, and he is doing it as he works his life in us in a totally different way. In the same way that this man who stepped from the synagogue was a totally different man. His arms were raised, his hands were held high because he had encountered Christ. Responding in faith to the one who called him to uncover what he had been trying to hide. Does that mean the events will unfold in our lives in in ways that I expect? Can't say that. But I know his new will be what is best and he will continue to work his best and bring his presence into where we live. That he will come in and demonstrate as one who loves and stands close. He is one that wants us to know him intimately. And in contrast to the hand that stretched out, those around with hands that were closed up, fist tight, refusing to reach. They were angry with what they had seen. They were angry that they had been exposed. 
angry that the familiar had been challenged. And in, and in their anger, we're told in verse 6, that they plotted to kill Jesus. The Pharisees and the Herodians, two groups, the political and the religious, two that stood opposed to one another in so many things, uniting in what ended up being a demonic purpose. They were driven by hatred, not unlike the hatred, but actually far worse than the hatred we saw last week. Hatred that, that ruins and seeks to destroy. Hatred that wants to overthrow. Because the Pharisees, they were just committed to the familiar. The, the God that they could box in in certain ways, but, but not know him in intimacy. And the message of the gospel is, is that Again, not that I just give you new life. I give you transforming presence of my life in you right now. Uh, one of the things that is so appealing about the program, The Chosen, is that it demonstrates Jesus, a work of fiction, but it demonstrates him in ways that unpack that he comes into the, into the smallest things of our lives coming as the living presence of Christ, wanting us to know him like that. The question I leave us with is, is the familiar, is my familiar keeping me from really seeing who Jesus is and wants to be in my life? Savior, yes. Absolutely, above all things, that he is the forgiver of our sins. But he is the one that says, I'm the friend of sinners. I'm the one that draw close. When he says, I want to come in and do the unfamiliar, the unpredictable in your life, that you may know me. That we can let go of our predetermined and allow him to be the Lord supreme in our lives. coming into the places where my familiar keeps myself covered up, thinking I somehow have to be look better, be better, act better, present myself better before he will draw close. And in that, I'm missing who he really is. The one who says, I love you with an everlasting love. Loving us in a way far, far more than we can ever understand. That he loves me despite my failures and my falls. That he loves me when I mask up trying to be someone that I'm not. That he loves me when I've gotten so lost that I have no idea how to find the way back. He loves me when he heard the words that shouldn't have been said and seen the things that shouldn't have been done. And here's the things that deep down that I felt and shouldn't have. Still wanting to change, still wanting to love, still wanting to be embraced. And as I said, Matthew 11 tells us that he's the friend of sinners. He ate with them, he talked with them, he laughed with them. And the term friend of sinners actually was used as a place, a terminology of contempt and disdain. Someone that you stayed away from, and Jesus just, just the very opposite. He said, that's the place I draw closest to. Closest 
to come into the emptiness that we say, I'm tired of the emptiness. I'm tired of the familiar. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of the brokenness. Lord, come in and do what you need to do in those places. And when we do, when we uncover, he's right there. And in that place, we truly begin to understand who he is. And in that place, his invitation to us is the very same it was to the man with the shriveled hand. Stretch out your hand. Stretch it out. And truly discover who I am. I'm the one who came to make your life new. I am the one that lives within you to give you the power to live life because I am the one above all who came to forgive sin and make us right with God. And knowing him as that, coming to him and allowing him to be the why that drives your life and mine. In his offer, extended. If you're tired of the familiar, if if you're tired of just holding on to a belief that once was, and you want to taste the new, you, you want to understand the love of the one that calls to us, then do as Jesus did for the man. Stretch out your hand. Let him be your why. Let him be the focus of your who. And so, Lord, we, we thank you that, that you didn't keep distant from us. You, you didn't sideline us. You didn't put up a category of people who could come and look good and and those would be the ones that you'd invite in. You were the one that said, whoever thirsts, whoever hungers, whoever wants, may come. And Lord, thank you that you've told us that you are found in those places. You are found as the one who loves us with an everlasting love. One that says, Stretch out your hand, and I will make you new. We thank you for that. In the name of Christ, amen.